The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. Beloved, as we gather for ordered worship, the liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. As we assemble as an addressable community, we do so in the spirit of Charles Wesley, who, who wrote, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combine, truth and love for all to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, 
that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Coming to prayer, beloved, we remember Howard Friend writing, Biblical narratives remind us that transformation begins with courage to leave. Accounts of dramatic change in the lives of the people of God are told in the Bible in story form, usually journey stories. And these stories begin with leaving. Abram's arriving at Canaan had meant 25 years earlier, leaving Ur of the Chaldees, a walled city, safe and familiar. To become the leader of Israel, Moses left the safety and anonymity of the plains of Moab. Crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land had meant 40 years before leaving Egypt. Captivity to be sure, but safety and predictability. Ur of the Chaldees, the plains of Moab, Egypt, each a symbol of safety and familiarity, are difficult to leave. Mark reminds us that transformation begins with the courage to leave. The moment of letting go and leaving is both awesome and agonizing. Ask Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Amos, Micah, or Jeremiah. Ask Peter, Andrew, or James, Paul, Silas, or Barnabas. Beloved, as we seek this day the courage to turn, let us bow in moments of quiet, silent confession as for us the choir sings our traditional Kyrie, Lord have mercy upon us. good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 62 with the Antiphon. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in God at all times, O people, pour out your heart before God, who is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in exhortation, and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God. And to you, O God, Belong steadfast love, for you repay to all according to their work. Now please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
and immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. You feel like you are losing your grip on the pigskin of life? Do you sense that you are loosening your grasp on the football of existence? Do you wonder if the air has gone out of you, that you are a couple of spiritual pounds of air pressure short of divine regulation? In a word, if I may, do you experience a little late January deflation? Aiming at conflation and avoiding inflation with others across the nation, do you experience deflation? Do questions keep hounding you even after you have repeated, I don't know, no I don't, I've told you everything I know, no, nope, no, no sir, no, no, never, never, uh, uh, uh. Are you lower than a wet, deflated, muddy, cold football in the bowels of Gillette Stadium this morning? <laughs> well, if you are. Tune in for 20 minutes or 21 words and 2100 words and hear the good news in seven verses. Turn to something ancient, good, holy, and true. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. For the passage from Mark read a moment ago looks back 40 years. Mark is writing in the year 70 or so. Jesus' ministry in Galilee begins in the year 30 or so. And what is remembered over those four decades? What do you remember about January 1975, those who were here then? Very little. Nothing about the time of year in which Peter and Andrew found the courage to turn to leave their nets. Nothing about the pre precise setting in which they chose to turn and follow. Nothing about the manner of their discourse with the master. Nothing about the reactions of their families. Nothing about the effect on the fishing business. Nothing about what caused in this idealized recollection such a sudden change. No, at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, as at its middle and at its end, we hunt in vain for clear memory of Jesus. The Gospels allude to the history of Jesus, but they are not written to tell the history of events 
40 years past, and in fact, they do not. A reading of the gospel that tries primarily to upend the gospels for such an alien agenda misses the meaning of their message because the scene before us today is an idealized memory, the memory of something that may or may not have happened in the way accounted somewhere along the Tiberian shore. The story told today comes out of, is as the wise folk say, formed, formed by the church 40 years later, shaped and formed by the church of the year 70 for reasons quite other than interest in history or biography or hagiography. The gospel has bigger fish to fry than the Tiberian fish of April 30 AD in the nets of Aramaic-speaking laborers. The gospel presents Jesus Christ, not Jesus. The gospel presents Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not Jesus. The gospel presents Jesus Christ and him crucified. A powerful voice, a personal encounter, a perplexing invitation to adventure in faith for you this morning. The church formed our text out of its own early experience. That is, the gospel is not about Jesus, it is about you. Today's passage was formed in this early church life, somewhere in the lost past, all of the detail now worn away like the memory you do not have of what you were doing, eating, wearing, saying, fearing, praying in January of 1975. Somewhere in the lost past, something happened over time to bind Simon and Andrew to Jesus. The church needed to remember this, and so in this idealized, skeletal, and didactic way, the church did so. What is remembered, with accuracy or without, is recalled to meet a pressing need in the fragile life of a suffering church. What is remembered is recalled to meet a pressing need in the fragile life of a suffering church. If we miss this formative effect of the church on the material, the material mattered to a church struggling with the grim and glorious matters of death and life. Then we miss the full point. Then the sacred scripture becomes even for the church what it becomes in other settings, parlor game fodder, material for debate over beer and Skittles. But for us here in this moment, the scripture functions as and is the very word of God. Something frightening and powerful is at work here. What crying need does the church experience in the years near 70 AD that occasions the forming of this scarecrow text? Why would the church want at the very outset of the gospel to remember the hurt of leaving and its requirement of the courage to turn? Think about it about that courage to turn. Think about it. The hurt of leaving, it hurts. It hurts to leave. Life in faith means the courage to turn and that means difficulty. It hurts to leave the womb. It hurts to have those first teeth leave their gums for the daylight of dinner and dentistry. My friend Jeff Hutter, the dean of the dental school, and I introduced ourselves one evening on an elevator to a fellow traveler whom we didn't know, and he replied, great, here I am riding along with the two things I hate most, dentistry and religion. <laughs> Faith in life is difficult. It involves hurt. It hurts to watch your daughter get on the bus and leave for kindergarten. It hurts to see your son take the family car and leave for the evening with a young woman you do not know well or fully trust. We have been around college towns all our lives. It hurts to leave your parents and go in the dorm. It hurts to leave your children there, to carry the sweaty boxes up the stairs, to fiddle with the room arrangements. Here at Boston University on Labor Day, it gets to the point that you can barely look at the same repeated scene. It's so painful. Father, mother, hugging their boy, girl, goodbye, and leaving town. 
It's a holy, frightening, and powerful scene, like our Bible reading today. And now it's the winter, and now that we have physically left home and are in college, say, we may need to turn, to turn our minds and hearts and souls toward the challenge of this utterly new situation, really to turn, to leave home not only in body, but in spirit. The fall term freshman year, you physically leave home. But then the snow falls. The spring term comes. The spring term of freshman year, you spiritually leave home. You begin to fashion that next part, your second identity, that next portion of the adventure in life. What a gift. The Bible, that is, is not about some oddball potpourri of cluttered historical facts regarding fishing rights near Capernaum in the first century. The Bible has bigger fish to fry. As Gershwin said of our passage today in Jonah, he said it rightly, Jonah, which is the outreach edge, the evangelism and ecumenical high watermark of the prophetic tradition, something major and good, the inclusion even of the Ninevites. So Gershwin, it ain't necessarily so. He made his home in that fish's abdomen. It ain't necessarily so. Bigger fish to fry. Today's story, today's accounts are about turning. And the gospel gives the courage to turn. Somehow in the life of the early church, leaving became an issue for attention. How could it not? Look at all the leave-taking in the formative earlier period. Jesus leaves life. Peter leaves Galilee. Andrew leaves home. Paul leaves Judaism. The church leaves Palestine. How did the church born in Judaism become so Greek so fast? Every time they turned around, someone was leaving nets. Someone was turning. Someone was turning up, turning around, turning out, turning down, turning to everything. There is that season to turn. The church remembered or crafted this scene out of a a dire need to teach others, to teach their generation, to teach disciples that discipleship bears a certain cost and caste. And now and then one is invited to summon the courage to turn. The life of faith is an adventure, but it is an arduous one. Faith, the gift of grace, faith is always a gift, when accepted and lived, will ineluctably lead to risk. And risk is a part of what we mean by faith. Now listen to Mark for a moment. We have followed Luke in 2013 and Matthew in 2014. And our lectionary guides us this year through Mark. Notice, as you have in other settings, his personal interests, five fingerprints, if you will, present in this chapter, but you will sense their touch through the whole of the rest of this year. First, a secret. Mark's messianic secret is a reminder to us that following the Christ means leaving the familiar for the unfamiliar, the present for the unforeseen future, the ready and easy for the unknown. His, Mark's, is not a cozy Christ. His Christ is one who calls upon us to summon the courage to leave. Second, Galilee of the Gentiles. The interest in evangelism out of which the gospel is written is imprinted upon us in this very early passage. When you hear Galilee, think unchurched, think outsider, think the nations, think the unreligious. With Paul, Mark asserts that Christ died for the ungodly. Third, the cost, the cost of discipleship and the counting of that cost. Mark reminds us that transformation begins with the courage to leave and that moment of letting go and leaving is awesome and agonizing. Ask Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Amos, Micah, Jeremiah, Peter, Andrew, James, Paul, Silas, or Barnabas. Fourth, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The suffering that Jesus endured was to be a watchword and warning for these early Christians. Mark teaches in this passage that at the very outset of the journey, there is the experience of loss and bereavement that comes with leaving, changing, 
turning. And fifth, that final fifth fingerprint, apocalyptic right side up. In sayings like this, I will make you fishers of men in the calling of disciples, there is a harbinger of what is to come. And Mark tries to put the Christian hope right side up, perhaps correcting for his community a misreading, say, of today's passage from 1 Corinthians 7 about a time grown short and a form passing away, culminating in the warning of Mark 13 that of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the Son, but the Father only. Here is the gospel hand reaching for you in 2015, holding a secret, loving the Gentiles, counting the cost, preaching the cross, right-wising apocalyptic. Beloved, it is not just the church that formed this passage that knew about turning. It is not just the evangelist who tells the story of departure that knew about turning. We too know about turning, about leaving nets and leaving neighbors and leaving niceties. It takes a courage to turn. Students know this. Those in maturity know it. Together as a community, we know and experience it. From 40 years ago, I do recall a courageous Spanish student, Guzman Garcia Arribas, who turned away from Francisco Franco and turned toward a freer life. From 30 years ago, I recall a graduate Syracuse University forestry student, Keith Parr, who turned from studies to service with his Air National Guard in the Gulf War. From 20 years ago, I recall an architecture student, Barry Jordan, who turned and traveled with us in mission to Honduras. From 10 years ago, I recall a Boston University undergraduate, David Romanek, who left the nets of historical study to turn to the ministry of the Episcopal Church. And last week, we remembered the struggles of Rosa Parks and Andrew Young and Edward Brooke and Martin Luther King Jr., all of whom found the courage to turn enshrined in the best of their traditions and in the best of their heritage, so Shakespeare. Then does conscience make cowards of us all, and thus the native hue of resolution is sickled over with the pale cast of thought, and enterprises of great pith and moment. With this regard, their currents go awry and lose the name of action. The courage to turn is the courage to lay hold, register, Sign up, rent to buy, take on real weight. To lay hold of faith, you may just have to make a turn. You may have to leave the nets, or at least the nest. To lay hold of the future, you may have to let go of the past. To lay hold of life, we may need to summon the courage to leave. To leave the inherited for the invisible, to leave the general for the particular, to leave existential drift for personal decision, to leave the individual for the communal, to leave renting for ownership, to leave auditing for registration. Friends, some of us have been auditing the course on Christianity long enough. It's time to register, buy the books, pay tuition, take the course for credit, and yes, get a grade one way or another to leave engagement for marriage. Now, this is a humble bit of humor, but it never grows old, at least to me. How do you find in the map of Ohio the little town of engagement? It's just between Dayton and Marion. Dayton, engagement, Marion. There may come a time when you need to leave in order to let go, in order to turn, to find the courage to turn. Faith as a human response is a dis decision. It's a choice and inevitably includes some risk. As Ernst Casemann said, faith means a continuous exodus from established positions. And Schweitzer so beautifully on this passage. He comes to us as one unknown without a name, as of old by the lakeside. He came to those who knew him not. He speaks to us the same words, follow thou me, and sets us to the tasks which he has to fulfill for our time. He commands, and to those who obey him, whether they be wise or simple, 
he will reveal himself in the toils and the conflicts, the sufferings which they shall pass through in his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. Just this winter in the exquisite recent film, The Theory of Everything, there comes one of those hard moments to turn, said his first wife as she turned away from him to Stephen Hawking. I, notice the tense of the verb, I have loved you. It takes courage. It takes the gift of faith to make that courage to turn, to live it. A courage to turn to morning prayer, daily study, weekly worship, monthly giving, yearly faithfulness. It takes a kind of courage to turn, to get up from a dormitory bed on Sunday morning and file past all the sleeping sleepers beside you and get ready and walk alone down Commonwealth Avenue and find a seat in the back of the chapel and bow for prayer. A courage to turn, to turn away, turn again, turn out, turn up, to take another turn in relationship, church relationship, roommate relationship, abusive relationship. Have we, as we need it this hour, opened our hands to receive the courage to turn? And as a society, when shall we ever find the courage say, to turn away from gun violence. Again this week in Boston, we have ample reason. Again this week in our neighborhood, we have ample reason to ask and ample reason to seek the courage to turn, turn away, turn a corner, turn around right, away from gun violence near and far. People know this. 85% of Americans agree that background checks should be used for purchases at gun shows. And... 81% of gun owners think the same. We can make progress. We can make progress in honor of those whom we have lost years past and days past. When shall we ever learn? As a people, we await the courage to turn. Today's gospel comes first from a church that held onto a memory of departure Second, from an evangelist who reflected on departure. And third, from a recognition in our own experience that includes the courage to depart, to leave, the courage to turn. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. Dear friends, as we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to attain an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail according to your tradition as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord.
Let us pray for the church and for the world. I will conclude each petition, God, in your mercy. Please respond, hear our prayer. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as Christ loves us. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled, and we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. God, in your mercy, O oh God, you make us glad with the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of your Son, our Lord. Give us this day such blessing through our worship of you that the week to come may be spent in your favor. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace of God be with you. We'd like to welcome you to Marsh Chapel this morning. There's nothing quite as lovely as walking down a snowy lane to come to a warm and vibrant chapel, and we are so happy to share this Sunday morning with you. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. And a great way of doing that is by filling out your contact information in the red books towards the center of your pew. So please fill those out and pass them along. We have many announcements and many things going on this week, and I'll turn over our first announcement to Dr. Jarrett. Well, Brittany, I actually have two announcements. Okay. First is that today we start Thurman Choir rehearsals right after services this morning. If you are interested to join up for the Thurman Choir, there's information in the bulletin 
uh, with the detail of the schedule. We invite you to join us downstairs in the Robinson Chapel at 12.30 for our first rehearsal for the semester. Look forward to seeing you then. Second announcement, assuming that we don't get two feet of snow on Tuesday, we hope you'll join us at King's Chapel uh, in the heart of Boston for a noontime performance of Cantata 72 and the Schutz Motet we're about to sing for the offertory. Choral scholars, members of the Collegium, and I will present at this regular Tuesday midday lunch recital time at Historic King's Chapel. Hope you'll join us Tuesday. Thank you. Directly following the service, there'll be refreshments and coffee downstairs. All are welcome to join us. Our Sunday evening service starts tonight. Vespers will be a dinner church at 6.30 p.m. If you have questions, please see Reverend Jessica Chicka for further information. Next week starts our Sunday morning book study focusing on Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. If you'd like to join or need to acquire a book, see Reverend Jen Quigley or Reverend Liz Douglas after the service. If you've not yet received a term book, please get one on your way out and look it over and find the wonderful offerings Marsh has for you this spring that you are welcome to join in. Other events and activities can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel where there is also an opportunity for online giving. Let us be reminded that it is a gift for us to be a giver. Whether you are at home or listening on the radio, we now all endeavor in a sacred, ancient Christian discipline of generosity. As the ushers come forward and the choir lifts us up in song, may we all find ourselves being as generous as we are able.
returning, take these gifts of generosity and pledge that we might continue your love and your compassion to be spread throughout the world. Amen. Gracious God, with those who now rest with thee within a greater light and upon a farther shore, may we know and share thy grace, thy mercy, thy peace, and thy love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> 